Um, I want to ask you, how many of you have a smartphone with you today? Do I raise it up? <laughs> Un- unbelievable how much this little device has really, really changed the world. Um, think about all, all the things you can do with it. It gives us the ability to connect with anybody, anywhere, anytime. The knowledge of the world is at our fingertips. We can um, read books on our phones. We can listen to music on our phones, watch full-length movies on our phones, record important conversations, take pictures of a great sunset, take videos of our child playing violin at a, at a concert. We can get directions to anywhere we need to go. It keeps our calendar and our contacts, our, our to-do lists. It can make financial transactions in the store. It can be your ticket to the game. In fact, I went to my first professional football game, preseason game, uh, about two weeks ago when the Bears played the Titans. And um, the only ticket was an electronic ticket. They don't take paper tickets anymore. I'm not sure if you know that. Everybody coming in the stadium has to have an electronic device, a phone, in order to get in the stadium. Screenshots weren't acceptable. You had to be running the Chicago Bears app in order to get in. Just amazing. It's amazing. They can access all our needed data. You put it on cloud storage and you can get your data anywhere you want, whatever you need. Store all your personal information that you want it to store. And on top of that, I forgot to mention, it makes phone calls. <laughs> it's really an amazing, amazing thing. But with so, with so much ability... Um, comes consequences. Uh, Tony Reinke um, wrote a book entitled 12 Ways Your, Your Phone is Changing You. And uh, listen to what he writes. He says, within a few years of its unveiling, the smartphone had become part of us, fully integrated into the daily patterns of our lives, never offline, always within reach. We now wield in our hands a magic wand of technological power. We have only begun to grasp But it raises new enigmas too. Never more connected, we seem to be growing more distant. Never more efficient, we have never been more distracted. And I know that you all have experienced this, right? Dinner time used to be experience of people and family to talk about their day and their precious life together. Whereas Norman Rockwell painted this this great painting of Thanksgiving. And now it looks more like like this with everybody on their phones. Um, Phones are, are everywhere, right? whether it's a dinner with the family or at a dinner alone or whether you're, you're sitting in the park, whether you're walking your dog, taking your child to school or, or working at school, um, whether you're driving or exercising or, or going to bed, our devices are always on, we're, we're always connected and we're always distracted. Social media has played its part, Facebook Let's go right. We got Facebook. What's top middle? WhatsApp, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, LinkedIn, and Google Plus. You realize that all those applications are created so to distract you. They want your eyeballs. Do you know why? Your eyeballs mean money. And if they don't get your eyeballs, they go away. In fact, Google Plus went away because it didn't distract you enough. Right? It didn't have enough users. 
It didn't get enough users with eyeballs. We live in a distracted age. Distracted driving is the new drunk driving. Did you know even today there are cities where it is illegal to cross the street while you're looking at your phone? Here's a a legit sign from Honolulu, Hawaii. Heads up, cross the street. Then update Facebook. It's called the distracted walking law. This is law in Honolulu. It says this. So in case any of you go, go vacationing there or whatever, just, just be careful, right? No pedestrian shall cross a street or highway while viewing a mobile electronic device. First time fines $15. It can get up to $99 for walking across the, the crosswalk like this. People have been killed because they've been watching their phones and walked out right in front of cars. People have been injured. And so really the simple message is this, dude, focus, and don't be distracted. Unless you think that our distraction only comes from phones, there are plenty of other distractions around us as well. Forty years ago, um, right? maybe you experienced small, I remember uh, my, my parents, right, it's just getting dark. And they'd open the door, and we had a bell. It'd go, ding, 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 ding. You know what that meant? It meant, come on home. And I know plenty of parents got out on their porch and said, Hey, Johnny, it's time to come home wherever you are. And so they'd come home when it's dark or, or after dark a little bit. And you know what parents do now? They go and they find Johnny, right, in, in, in his bedroom, right, on, on his computer playing his games or his Xbox or something, and said, Johnny, it's light outside. Can you please go outside? So distracted they are with all the things inside that we try to get them outside. It's changing our lives. Game consoles, computers, phones, tablets, media just coming into our minds. Well, the title of my message this morning is Don't Be Distracted. I almost, I almost entitled it, dude, focus, don't be distracted. But I just, I just kept the don't be distracted. So it, it comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 21 through 35. If you want to open your Bibles, and you can turn there. If you didn't bring a Bible, on one of the chairs in front of you, there, there is one for you there, page 529. We're just going to walk right through the passage. If you have a Bible, when you're looking at it, it's going to be of immense help to you. Uh, For the past month and a half, we've just been working our way verse by verse through the book of Proverbs. Um, And uh, today we come to Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse uh, verse 21. This is our third message on Proverbs 3. We began chapter 3, verse 1, which began with the my son. That was the first section. We see in chapter 3, verse 11, a my son. That's the second section. And here we see in verse 21, my son. That's a third section. And then we'll be next week in chapter 4. 1 through 9, because that begins again. Here, O sons, these are like, like signposts. Like, here's a new section, and here's a new section, and that's where we will be. So before we dive in, verse by verse, let's just, let's just read the passage. Solomon writes this, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and there'll be life for your soul and adornment for your neck Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. 
Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. And Solomon begins this section here by saying, My son, do not lose sight of these. It's it's what I, I think he's saying. He's saying, dude, focus. The dude is like my son. Focus, right? Do not lose sight of these. Solomon's son is, Solomon is telling his son to, to keep his focus on the important things. Right? Don't lose sight of them. Don't get distracted. Now, in this days, we might say it a couple different ways. We might say it this way, right? Keep your eye on the prize. We might say it this way. Keep your hand to the plow. Or we might say it this way, keep your head down. Nemo might say, or Dory, I forget what it is, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming, just keep going. <clears throat> keep the main thing the main thing. Stay on track and don't look back. Stick to your guns. Or as Winston Churchill said, never, never, never give up. Get that goal. Get that prize. Don't be distracted. It's really it's a call of Christ upon our lives, not to be distracted from serving Him. You remember the parable of the sower and the seed? The sower poured out the seed upon the ground, and he, he poured it onto different types of soils. Because as it went out, it just hit different places. And the, the seed along the path was, was eaten up by the birds. And, and as the sower sowed some seeds upon the rocky ground, it grew up but withered because it didn't have depths of soil and then some fell upon the thorns. The, the thorn, it grew up, but the thorns then choked it out. The sower then sowed some seeds upon the good soil, which produced grain. And when Jesus interpreted this parable, he interpreted about the word going out on the hard soil. It was like when, when the word goes out and just hard against the heart. A hard heart, just not, not even hearing it. And when it gets the, the, the rocky soil, the, the, the seed that goes out, right? It's the word of God that goes out and is, 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 is excited about it, right? But then... Then it doesn't have any depth, a root of soil, and fades away. Or the, the seed that's sown among the thorns is the one who hears the word, but it's, here it is, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and prove it unfaithful. It's only the, the good soil that grows up. But I want you to think about the thorns. Right? It, the, this plant is growing up in the thorns, and it is the, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. I would contend that we live in a rich society where we can have nice phones, riches at our fingertips, but distracted, I think that is, phones and screens and all its enticements and all its distractions, right? The, the, the world pulls us away from Jesus, but Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And as Solomon is saying here, don't lose sight of these, don't get distracted, because if you get distracted, Jesus says, you're not worthy of the kingdom of God. 
but realize his sacrifice upon the cross for your sins, wiping away everything. And you just, that's where you want to go. You want to strive towards him. As Paul said, one thing I do, forgetting what lies me and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That one thing I do, I'm pressing on that I might know him and I might pursue after him. And the prize of eternal life through faith in Christ is so great, it demands our unilateral focused attention. And I say, church family, don't lose sight of this. Don't lose sight of the cross. Don't lose sight of the redemption that's yours. Keep your eye on the prize. Now, when it comes to walking in wisdom, which is what Proverbs is all about, it's crucial that you know these things, that you, you persist and not be distracted. In chapter 1, you remember when Solomon was instructing his son about wisdom, personified lady wisdom who's preaching, right? The wisdom that's calling out in the streets, right? Come to me. And, and it's just ignored, right? It's distracted by other things. Not even listening to lady wisdom ends in disaster. In chapter 2, Solomon told his son to pursue wisdom just like treasure, like, like passionately, like going after it, long sustained searching, like, like you would want to do. And now in chapter 3, he urges his son to keep his attention focused upon wisdom. Dude, focus and do not lose. Don't be distracted, rather. Or, or to use the words of the, the ESB, here it is. Dude, focus. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. It is really two words, sound wisdom, discretion. You, you put those two things together, it's a great summary of all that Solomon has spoken thus far. Sound wisdom, chapter 1, verse 8, 9, to listen to your parents. Discretion, verses 10 through 19 of chapter 1, to know when your peers are pulling you in a wrong direction. Chapter 2, sound wisdom, to seek after wisdom. Chapter 2, and discretion, to discern and avoid the evil men and women that would come into your life to pull you away from the truth. Chapter 3, sound, women, sound wisdom to trust the Lord with all your heart and discretion to recognize all the blessings that come from His hand. And if you seek these things, Solomon says in verse 22 that it will be life for your soul and adornment to your neck. Life to your soul. In chapters 1 through 3, we saw how wisdom would give you life. It will protect you from the evil influences around you. It will give you favor from the Lord. In Proverbs 1, 9, we saw how wisdom will adorn your neck. As it says in chapter 1, verse 9, they are a graceful garland for your, for your head and pendants for your neck. The idea here is that, that wisdom and discretion will adorn your life with, with goodness and with grace. I mean, the best parallel to that is the, the Medal of Honor, the, the highest award our country gives for valor and action against an enemy force, usually applied by the President of the United States. I think this was the 300th Marine ever who received the Medal of, of Honor. It's something that if you had one of those, you'd wear with pride. That's sound wisdom and discretion and if you want this adornment, right, it'll be a blessing to you. So focus your heart and your attention upon it. Don't be distracted. And as we work through our text this morning, I simply have three words to summarize Solomon's teaching. Uh, just to kind of give you a hook of, I think, the, the key thought of what he's talking about. The, the key thought here in, in verses particularly 23 through 26 is this word security. It says in verse 23, then 
you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. In other words, right, if you walk in the ways of wisdom and you're not distracted because you're not losing sight of these things, you will live a life of security. This has always been true the case of God's people. They always walk securely while the wicked stumble. Maybe you remember when Moses spoke to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 32. He's given one of his last messages to the, the people of Israel before he dies and before the people come in to take possession of the land. And Moses exhorts them to walk in a righteous way and he tells them of the faithfulness of God. He said in Deuteronomy 32 verse 9, But the Lord's portion is his people. He found them in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled them. He cared for them. He kept them as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on his pinions. The Lord alone guided them. No foreign God was with them. God protects his people. His people walk securely. But regarding the instruction, the unrighteous, the Lord says this, Deuteronomy 32, verse 35, the time will come. When their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. Deuteronomy thirty-two, thirty-five. you recognize that verse at all? Who preached a sermon from that verse? Jonathan Edwards. That great sinners in the hand of an angry God sermon, their foot shall slip in due time. He just focused upon the wicked. There will be a time when the wicked do slip, as opposed to the righteous who won't stumble. Those who forsake the Lord will slip. Those who, who walk in sound wisdom and discretion will know what stability in life looks like. Well, one of the ways that my wife and I are distracted in, in this world is through um, watching YouTube and watching uh, the nightly ritual we have, watching long-distance hikers. And particularly, we've got our focus on one. Her name is Mary. She's from England. We love how she talks and says strange words about being shattered when she's so tired. And very funny. Just, just we've got to know her over these daily episodes as she does about hiking from Mexico to Canada. She's very delightful, very tough. And uh, last night we watched when she was in the Sierra Nevadas. And uh, the snow is melting about this time of year. She's probably in there a month ago. We're behind on all, all these videos. But the snow was, was melting and these raging rivers then were coming uh, across the, the path of the trail they need to walk. And they need to cross these, these rivers. And, and sometimes these rivers are really raging and they are dangerous. And last night as we watched Mary, she teamed up with some guys and they linked arms together and crossed the river together as they, as they withstood the, the raging waters. And one was falling, one could get up. They had all the, the feet together as they could go right across this waging waters. It's a picture of those who find sound wisdom and discretion. They walk securely in this life. They, they, they walk the steady path of trials of life because the Lord is their strength through their trials. And sometimes the Lord steadies the righteous through trials. And sometimes He provides an easier path. At one point last night, we were watching Mary come to a raving river, and there was a bridge. And so she had the opportunity then to just get up and walk right on over the bridge. She she could look down and see the raging water beneath, but she walked above safe and dry, secure on that bridge. And that's what the, the Lord does for those who find sound wisdom and discretion Though the river rages below, they can walk securely, as verse 23 says. If you're not distracted, you trust in your wisdom, you'll walk securely. And then Solomon, in verses 24 through 26, notes the the peace of mind particularly that come 
to those who trust in the Lord. He says this, if you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. You know, many times in Scripture it speaks about how God is our, our shield, the one who protects us. You can read about that in, in Psalm 91. That he, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Right? When fear comes, he will not be afraid. Psalm 46 speaks about a, a similar thing. Though the, the mountains rage, the rivers raise up, yet those who trust in the Lord will stand firm and secure. Psalm 125, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but that's surrounded by mountains. The Lord surrounds His people. Well, here the idea is that just walking securely, you're going you're gonna to lie down, you're not going to be afraid. And particularly here, it's because you've walked in wisdom. You've found sound wisdom. You've found discretion. One commentator says it this way. Wisdom will give you a good night's sleep without worry. That's what verse 24 talks about. You will sleep well because you haven't done the foolish things that cause you to stay awake worrying. You won't be afraid that you'll get caught or be found out. You won't lie awake thinking to yourself, what if she reads that email? What if he runs into that person? Who else knows about this? How can I make sure that this never gets out? The commentator continues, walking in wisdom and avoiding foolishness of sin will keep your conscience clear and your mind free from worry. And if you get wisdom, you'll ultimately be safe because Yahweh is the one who watches over you all day long. God Almighty be looking out for you. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom and he will keep those who fear him safe. The idea here, right, you're you're walking in wisdom. You haven't made those mistakes. You're not fearful of that. Right? A, a police presence can mean one of two things. Right? If, if, if you're holding a, an instrument of crime, say a bloody knife or a smoking gun, and the police arrive, it's fear because they're going to catch you. But if you're on the other end of that, terrified because you got a home intruder and you called 911, right? the, the police officer comes, and it's safety, it's security. And so likewise, when you fall asleep at night and you're totally defenseless, when you trust in the Lord to be your strength and your guiding, if, if you have nothing to be fearful of, if you've walked in foolishness, if you've found that sound wisdom, if you've found that destruction, you have nothing to fear. You will sleep secure. But how many anxious nights come because of our foolish walk and what we have done and we're fearing what may happen? And again here, it's interesting in verse 26, we see the Lord being our, our confidence. And again, we get back to the key of Proverbs. This isn't just a, a human interaction and human things. This is, this is divine. Proverbs is divine. Proverbs 1.7 is the key to Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. As we walk in the fear of the Lord, we'll be able to discern. Right, The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Right? The, the fear of the Lord gets wisdom and then walks in wisdom. And as we walk in those place, ways and, and we walk in wisdom we can rest assured that we can find peace in our sleep because sin's a cause for worry and wise choices bring about no worries. But when we're distracted from the Lord and we fail to walk in wisdom, sin rises up and we lose our sleep. Sleep is a, a gift of 
the Lord. He will protect us even in our sleep, Psalm 127. Well, let's move on. We, we've seen security. I think that's what, what, what uh, Solomon here is talking about, right? Don't get distracted that you might sleep well. You might be secure. My next point is simply this, equity. At this point, Solomon transitions from an emphasis of more walking rightly with the Lord to maybe more dealing with our neighbors. And I use the word equity just because it means just dealing rightly, dealing fairly with our, our neighbors is really what, what this is about. Verse 20, 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. We see four commands here, one for each verse. Um, They all have to do with dealing fairly with our neighbors. That's what I mean by equity, just dealing fairly. Or you might even say it, right, loving your neighbor. The first two commands here uh, are, are dealing with failing to do what is right. And the second two commands here have to do with doing what is wrong, these are different aspects of sin, um, often distinguished this way. Some are sins of omission, and some are sins of commission. See, sin isn't merely doing bad things. What we think about sin is doing bad things. Sin also is failing to do the right things. It's a sin of, of omission. A common prayer and confession goes like this. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by way, what we have left undone. So it's both sins of commission, what we have done, and what we have left undone, omission. And when you begin to think about the sin of omission, your, your mind can be like blown with your own sinfulness. Because all of a sudden, you, your, your scope of sin enlarges, right? Because there are many things that we don't do. All right, because God says, whatever, don't do this. There are many things that we don't do, but there are many things that God tells us to do that we don't do, and we're guilty of them and in need of forgiveness. And, and perhaps the greatest illustration, that's the Good Samaritan told in Luke chapter 10. Jesus told the story of a man who's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers and was beaten, stripped, departed, left half dead, half naked along the side of the road. And and Jesus tells how a priest just happened to come along that, that road and, and saw the man. He was injured alongside the road and in need of help. And he didn't stop. He just passed by on the other side. Then Jesus tells about how a Levite did the same thing. Walked down that same road, saw that same man, saw that same need, and jumped on the same other side of the road. As he walked down, he didn't stop either. But the Samaritan, the despised one, passed by. And a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, as Jesus said, when he saw him, he had compassion. He had love. This is what it meant to love your neighbor. And he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. And Jesus made the point of which man loved his neighbor. The Samaritan did. And only one of the three loved the neighbor. The others sinned. And you might say, well, they didn't, just didn't do anything. Well, they sinned by omission. Well, maybe they were going to the synagogue. Right? Maybe that would have caused them to be late. Well, they, they still, the sin of omission. 
They failed to do what they should have done. They should have done what the Samaritan did. And when you begin to realize all the different ways in which there's opportunity for good that's before you, and you don't do it, it's a sin of, of omission. And your sin in your mind grows and grows and grows. And I just say this, church family, at that moment, let the cross of Christ grow and grow and grow and grow. And realize His great forgiveness. You know, I, I remember hearing the picture of the cross. And then we first come to Christ, the cross is far away. But as we walk more with Jesus and more with Jesus, we get closer and closer to the cross. And what happens? The cross gets bigger and bigger and bigger because we see our sinfulness more and more in a greater way and the, the cross of Christ more glorious. So just see the cross of Christ glorious. He forgave upon the cross. If you but believe in Him, your sin of omission, all your sins of omission. And if you, if you look carefully at, at Luke chapter 10 and the parable of the Good Samaritan, I think Jesus' point is this, is that you can't ever say you've loved your neighbor enough. Right? The, the two greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then the proud guy says, what does it mean? Who's my neighbor? And, and Jesus said, this man's your neighbor. And all of a sudden, anybody in need is your neighbor. And you need to love them like you love yourself. You can't do that. Our sins of omission are vast and large and big. So is the cross of Christ. It's vast and large and big. Well, let's just look at even what Solomon says about the sins of omission in verse 27 and 28. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Now, verse 27 is, is very generic. It just Speaks of all type of just withholding good. So somehow you got some good and you withhold it. We'll, we'll come back to that one. But let's look at the specific case in verse 28. It, it speaks here of, of something you have. Say money or, or, or things. And, and you have it. And you owe it to your neighbor. And you're willing to give it. You're planning to give it to your neighbor tomorrow. Right? You, you've got this. I can give it to him now. But I'm going to give it to him tomorrow. And Solomon says, Unwise. And in many ways, you can read that sin. And that's so why I can envision the case where you owe someone some money, right? You borrowed some money on, on Monday, and as, as uh, Wimpy says, right, I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. And it's Tuesday, and you got your money that you bought on Monday. He loaned you Monday, and you don't give him the money. I think that's what he's talking about. Uh, I can envision the case where you've borrowed something. You got it in your car. You, you could give it to someone after church. But you don't. Well, next week I will. Solomon says each of these actions, they're unwise. And, and boy, when you take 27 and, and just take the generic case, that's uh, not maybe something you give, like tangibly. I, I was thinking about an illustration about this. I can envision a case where you have a compliment to give. You, you've noticed God working, an evidence of grace in someone's heart and their life. And you can be a blessing to them. You can give grace to them by what you say. And, and you can encourage them by saying, you know what? I saw this about you and God is just working in you. I see the, the fruit of the Spirit working in your life. And that's just a, a wonderful thing. And I praise God for that. You could say that. But if you remain sol- silent... And don't give that blessing. Solomon says you've acted unwisely. He says encourage your brother and encourage your brother today. I can envision another case 
And maybe you can all, I know I do this all the time. You receive some email, some event. Please RSVP by, by such and such a time. You know you're coming, but what do you do? It gets buried in your inbox. You don't reply. You can do good to help the one organizing that event and you don't reply right away. But instead, you wait until the RSVP date, RSVP date and you still don't respond. It's only when the organizer of the event has to start calling around everybody. Oh, are you coming? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm coming. Sorry, I just forgot to RSVP. Why don't you say this? Sorry, I did an unwise thing. I should have RSVP'd right away. How many of you are guilty of that? All right. Especially as a church, right? You put out some kind of email and nobody... Okay, so our next event, right? This is going to come out. Some kind of email is going to go out and everyone's going to... Right away. That'd be wonderful. That's the wise walk of how to walk wisely. Those are sins of omission. You just, you're good. It's in your power. It takes two seconds. Just reply. Get that off. Well, let's look at the sins of commission. They come in verse 29 and 30. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason. He has done you no harm. That's equity. Dealing fairly with your neighbor. Solomon here is picturing, picturing a, a neighborhood where all are living together in peace and trust. Um, you could extend this picture here perhaps to a, a school environment, your fellow students or your teaching at school or your work environment or some kind of team environment where people are trusting you, some kind of environment where, where trust is super important. And Solomon says, don't harm your neighbor without a cause. Right? Don't take things from your neighbor's house. It's unwise and sinful. And perhaps your, your neighbor entrusts you with their key because they're going on vacation and, and you need to go in and take care of their dog or something and, and to whatever, go beyond or to ruffle through some drawers. You're just destroying trust. It's bad. It's wrong. Or maybe some team, you know, playing a practical joke on someone on a team in a harmful way could be bad. You're just destroying trust there. They've done you no harm. They're asleep on the bus. I remember that. I used, to, I used to love doing that. People are asleep on the bus. I'm down underneath the, the seat tying their shoes together. <laughs> it's like, it's exactly what this was. I was foolish. I remember one day driving on a, riding on a bus or some, and waking up, my shoes are tied. <laughs> it came back to me. The people returned the favor. But I said, don't, don't do that. says even even the second phrase here right don't contend with a a man for no reason when he's done you no harm don't don't quarrel with your neighbor especially if the quarrel's not with you i mean it's it's hard really to think of an example of this because it seems so wrong that that someone in your neighborhood in your team where it is is innocent whatever hasn't done anything wrong to you and then you just rail against them I mean, it seems obviously wrong to us, wrong to the world. Like, why, why in the world would you, you do that? But I, may, maybe here's the best application I can think of. I think of someone maybe in customer service. For some reason, you purchase some item that you want to return. At, but you don't have your receipt. Or it's past 90 days. Or it's damaged. Or, or one, of these, one of these ways in which she, she can't accept the, the item, right? Company, company policy says, right, if no receipt... Uh, late return, right? It's past 90 days or it's damaged. You can't return it. And you're like, oh, but I have this. I want to I return it. And uh, you try to reason with her, but she doesn't follow your logic. 
She follows the company policy. You plead with her. You get on your knees and say, please, would you take this back? And she says, "Um, sorry, sir, it's company policy that we can't take that back. And how easy it is to quarrel against her. As if she's the problem. As if you have the beef with her. She is not. She's just following what her bosses are telling. And how many people on the other end of customer service get railed upon by people. Talk to the manager. Talk to the, the whatever. You go right on up the lane. That's where the beef needs to really be. Yet I've been guilty of that before. Railing against the wrong person. Not that it's ever right even to rail, but you ought to be kind and courteous and gracious. That's the wise way to walk. Rather than contending with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm, the person behind the customer uh, service counter hasn't done me any wrong. If anything, I'm in the wrong. But you know what? That's what made the death of Jesus so horrific, that he had done no wrong. He had done no harm. On the contrary, he helped and healed and taught the truth in the ways of God. Scripture says over and over again that he never sinned. And yet Jerusalem, the religious leaders, hated him. And Pilate put him to death. John 15, 25 says that they hated Jesus without a cause. Just right according to the Scripture. Psalm 69 speaks about that. Hating Jesus without a cause. Just, just right here is what we're talking about. How evil it is. Contending with someone for no reason. And not only to hate him, but they proceeded to torture him and to kill him on the cross. Totally unjust, totally wrong, totally undeserved, and yet totally needed for our redemption. This that seems so wrong to us that it's hard even to think of, a, of an illustration or to think when that has been done to us, when we have done no wrong and people have railed against us. Yet they did that to Jesus. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to God who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. And I just say this, church family, keep that on the forefront of your mind. The cross of Christ. How how big it is. How, How glorious it is. How unjust it was. But yet that's the very place where justice is served so God can forgive us. Don't be distracted from that. That's, that's the main thing, Christ and Him crucified. We as a church, we exist to enjoy His grace and extend His glory. There's the first point, right? We need to enjoy the grace of God. It's at the cross of Christ. Well, my last point this morning, we'll be quick on this, is eternity. Um, the reason why I chose the word eternity is it's not really in here. Um, but, but I think these things, like much of wisdom, can only be understood in light of eternity. Only light when you, you see the end or you see, see what happens afterwards. Because verse 31 says this, Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. The implication here is it's easy to envy a man of violence. Because a man of violence often gets his own way. He, he often proffers, uh, uh, prospers through unjust gain. Because through intimidation and through manipulation, right? He, he's the one that, that, that does well. And Solomon says, don't envy that person. Don't envy him. Don't walk in his ways. Because, verse 32, and this is the idea of, um, of eternity a little bit. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. See, it may appear on the human level that the man of violence is doing well. He's getting his way. People are doing what he says. His reward, he's rewarded with the sales and the business ventures. Things to be flowing in. He seems to be living high on the hog. 
But viewed from the Lord's perspective and, and from eternity, right, maybe from heaven, uh, maybe from God's perspective, you see how wrong it is. It's called an abomination to the Lord. The abomination to the Lord is like that thing which is just the most worst and awful thing that you can imagine. Okay, so I've been on my diet, right? And I've been, um, for the most part, eating nothing but fruit until noon. And remember what I have at noon? I have my, my salad, if you can call it a salad. I, I, <laughs> do you call it a salad, SR? <laughs> no. All right, well, I start with lettuce. And then I go to the refrigerator. And if there's ham, I'm pulling ham. And if there's cheese, I'm pulling cheese. And carrots, I'm pulling carrots. And... Um, taco sauce, I'm pulling taco sauce, and I'm pulling salsa, and I'm pulling applesauce, and I'm pulling salad dressing, and I'm pulling olives. I'll never put onions, but I'll put olives on there, and I'll put peanuts on there, and I'll throw it all together on this salad. And I like it. And I have been informed by my children as I make my salad before them, that is disgusting. You can eat it, but just don't eat it in front of us. I asked Yvonne last night, uh, we need some more olives. That's why I asked her to get some olives, cheap olives, so I can just kind of put a bunch of olives on there. And she says, I'll get them, but that doesn't mean that I like them. Good, good job, Thatcher, thank you. Mixed with applesauce and taco sauce and salsa and filter chips. I had some tortilla. So any, whatever you fit in a bowl, that's like my offering. Start with green so it takes it. But to many of you, that's like an abomination, all right? Something that is just so putrid and just so awful that you just can't have it. But, but know this, is that the devious person is an abomination to the Lord. He looks upon them just with disgust and awful and can almost vomit at seeing such a person. That's why we need to deal with him from eternity's perspective or from a divine perspective. Just, just don't envy him because God is against him. God sees him as putrid. And God will deal with them in his time is, is the point. Verse 33, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. He, you don't need to envy the wicked and all their prosperity today because God's curse is upon them. And, and, and even it's upon them now is what verse 33 says. Um, and it will be upon them for eternity. The men of violence and the devious may be rich today, but there will be a day where they are made poor. Case in point, Luke 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man had it all in this life. He is perhaps the devious man, the man of uh, violence. And yet, he made fun of, didn't not neglected Lazarus, who was continually there. And yet, in eternity, it's all, it's all flipped. So you don't need to envy these, because it will all be flipped someday. But there is even a, a curse that is on them today. Though people are, are rich and wealthy today, oftentimes rich and wealth come with many people just asking for things. And, and the, the wicked people, there could be a curse there as well. But realize, there's a blessing Perhaps even if everything's not going your own way. Proverbs 15, verse 17 says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox with hatred with it. In other words, God's blessing is better than food. If you just have vegetables, but God's blessing and peace, it's wonderful. But if you have the finest sirloin steak that there is, 
living in a house of hatred, God's curse is upon you, and you wouldn't want that for all the food in the world. Well, Solomon continues with uh, similar themes, and perhaps this is where you see eternity coming in, in, the, in the biggest way. Towards the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. The, the scorners here are just the, the, the sourpusses, right? The, the ones who are, who are just always down, always arguing, always con- causing contention. And God just says, well, if that's what you're like, I'll be, I'll be like that to you. But the humble are, are the ones who aren't causing the divisions, who aren't causing the problems, who, are, who have open hands. The Lord said, God, I just need your help. I need your grace. I, I'm not great in myself, God, but you are great, giving all honor to God, just seeking to walk humbly before him. And they're the promises that he receives, the favor of God or the, the grace of God, the, the kindness of God. Right there is the gospel, is it not? Towards the scorners, he is scornful, and to the humble, he gives favor. God gives grace. See, because come to Christ, you need to humble yourself. You need to see your sin and confess your sin and, and plead mercy of God at the cross of Christ. And God then gives grace in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And then we see ultimate with eternity about how the wise will inherit honor, but the fools get disgrace. The wise are the ones who have not been distracted who have kept their sound wisdom, who have kept their discretion, who have, who have walked the right walk, who, who have trusted in the Lord and, and walked in His ways, they will get honor. And the honor will come by the blessing of the King, saying, well done, well done, good and faithful one. But fools will get disgrace, and maybe worse than disgrace someday, as fools walk after their own ways, pursue their own devices, ignore the ways of God, We saw in chapter 1 with those who ignored wisdom, when the calamity comes, God will laugh at them. And there's a divine ridicule that will come in eternity when the gospel's been offered again and again and again and again and again to people and they say, "Ah, nah, nah, you're a fool if you do that. And you'll get the disgrace and wrath of God upon you because the offer of wisdom and grace is here. It's free, it's lavish, and you've all heard it. To follow in those ways, just we, we need not to be distracted, but, but, but wisdom needs to be the center point of where we're going, right? We're, we're going to keep on track. We're, we're not going to look back. We're going to keep swimming. We're going to press on towards the goal. That's what Solomon is talking about, and, and these sorts of things come about. We'll, we'll know what security is about, lying down, sleeping well. We understand how it is that we need to interact with people in equity. And just in light of eternity, we just know that, that what's, what looks good today may well look bad someday. And what looks bad and maybe not blessed today will, will turn someday into a great blessing when the, the righteous, the humble, will receive honor. So let's pray to the Lord. These things might be true in our hearts and our lives. Father, I pray, God, for us all that we would not be distracted by the technology. I, I, I just even was thinking this week, uh, kids, we had a conversation about the presidents during the time of the writing of the Declaration of Independence. And James Madison and Thomas Jefferson lived close by in the same neighborhood. We just envisioned, they, they couldn't call each other, they couldn't text each other, they couldn't email. Every visit had to be a surprise visit to knock on the door and say, how you doing? And learning and working on these things. I think about the Puritans of old who had no distractions and knew the Bible far better than any of us. God, I pray that you'd protect us, God, from the distracting power of the, of the phones and the tablets. 
I pray for the kids who are wasting away their lives playing their video games when wisdom is there to be had. I pray for all of us to be more enthralled by you and your Bible than by all the fun technology that we have. God, we might keep our minds on these things, that we might not be distracted. We'd set our sights on them and they would not go by the wayside. So God, we would pray, oh God, for your help in these things. Pray as we just continue through Proverbs that Rock Valley Bible Church should be filled with, with wise people. God, who know you and love you and, and long to serve you with all their hearts for all their lives. We thank you. We thank you for Jesus who is our wisdom, who lived all these things perfectly. God, who loved you and served you and died on the cross for our sins. What a, what a great simple message. What a glorious message. We will worship him in all eternity. I just thank you for what you've done for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.